Hi guys, welcome to Dead by Tomorrow Interviews. My name is Daniel Winter and my co-host is Andrew Monroe. As we explore different topics that are worth thinking about today, we want to bring in guests to share their own unique perspective. We hope you enjoy hearing from our guests as much as we enjoy talking to them. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this week's, today's, whatever form of listening frequency that you go for this episode. So today we have Beth, who is Daniel's sister, Beth Winter, and she works for Forerunner. It's a mentorship program. And coincidentally enough, they were actually doing a fundraiser recently. So if you're listening to this and you've been trying to figure out what to do with some money and want to help some kids do some good, you definitely need to check out the links for this episode and go swing by Forerunner and help those guys out because they're doing good work. So I don't know Beth nearly as well as Daniel obviously does, it being his sister, but I know she's been through some ups and downs and is currently working for Forerunner and helping mentor a lot of kids. And I think she's also helping Daniel live his life to his fullest. So with that said on my part, Daniel, what do you got? Helping to live my life to my fullest. You seem to be doing fine. And Hillary hasn't killed you yet, so I'm accrediting that to Beth. That's a creative way of saying that Beth uh, lives with us right now in Dallas. So I I guess you're saying that roommates help people live their lives to their fullest? I hope so. Or they can probably have a negative effect, if not. (laughs) Something like that. Okay, so obviously, Beth, I know you very well. And for those that are not your blood relatives that have not grown up with you and and been with you since birth, what are just some of the highlights that you would share if you're trying to say, hey, this is who I am and what I'm about? Man, like a personal mission statement, bullet points. I mean, if you're talking Enneagram and things like that, if you're just talking personality, I'm a pretty, I love challenges. And so a lot of my life, a lot of my highlights in my life have been overcoming challenges. And that's something I'm really passionate about. I'm kind of a private person. So just being asked to share like highlights of my life is hard for me. I'm like, I don't know who I was listening to this. And that's hard for me. But I'm an introvert. I'm alumni from Texas Tech. I've been in ministry for over eight years. And I love kids. I work with kids. That's what I do right now. Now millions of people know that. So your private life is no <laughs> longer know. private. Yeah, millions <laughs> listen to this podcast right now. At least when we last counted. So introvert, Beth, you may be the first introvert that we've talked to on our podcast. I'm, wow. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think. Yeah, pretty likely. So I know that you've listened to a, a handful of the mm-hmm. episodes we've done. Andrew and I are both obviously extroverts so has there been anything that sticks out where you're like yeah okay obviously extroverts you think that you feel that way but (laughs) does not apply to introverts I don't know if it's necessarily an introvert extrovert thing but I do know that like sometimes getting up and doing challenges you guys talk a lot about doing that with other people and for introverts I think that can be a challenge in itself because then it becomes two challenges you're like setting a goal maybe of I want to go to the gym and work out. And then there's this additional factor of needing people to go with and hold you accountable. And so it feels a little more challenging. It's a double whammy for introverts. 
that is wildly accurate and something that I would have never thought of in a million <laughs> because that kind of thing does not occur to me. And you are right. That is probably <laughs> a problem for introverts. Sorry, guys. Okay. We're used to it. To be yeah. fair, we, we did at least take the time to really try to explain why relationships are valuable so that if you weren't sold on the idea of, you know, who cares if this will help me form more relationships, <laughs> we tried to at least say, hey, you should probably care somewhat. Oh, yeah. And introverts like relationships, too. It's just it's a little it's a bigger task for us. They and maybe this is going to get me lynched or burned <laughs> at the stake. But to me, it seems like introverts just they're very resistant towards those kind of relationships until they just they're like, you know what, I've got to get one like friend down or I've got to have that person. And so then they pick one mm. and then it's done. Locked oh, down yeah. forever. Totally. That's one of the biggest differences between me and Daniel, I feel like, is I'll have like my core group of friends and I'm like, I'm good. I'm not really interested in forming more relationships. And Daniel wants everyone to be friends and he wants all his different social groups to know each other and he wants to keep expanding and invite everyone to everything. And I'm just like, nah. You compartmentalizers. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's literally the whole entire purpose of our yearly star wars gathering is (laughs) to not just bring friends in the city together but say hey like all of my friends that live in any place this is an excuse for you to now come to dallas and hopefully meet any other friends that i've managed to make in the past year (laughs) let us feast and watch star wars and meet new people (laughs) it's a good goal i'm not saying my way is a good healthy thing i'm just that's where i'm at fair enough fair enough So I don't really know what you do day to day. What is a mentor at Forerunner actually do? What time do you go to work and what do they make you do and how does that all work? So yeah, I Forerunner Mentoring is like a nonprofit organization in Dallas. We serve kids from hard places. It's a boys only program. And somehow I, as a woman, ended up in charge of this K through six after school program for all these boys. And so I'm running up to schools, I'm meeting moms, I'm developing curriculum and policies and procedures. And then all afternoon, I'm hanging out with boys, like K through sixth grade boys. So it's a pretty interesting time. Have you started playing Fortnite yet? I've never played Fortnite, but I do. I can recognize all the dances. I can't do them, but it is pretty popular. Even like our kindergartners will talk about Fortnite. I'm just like, what? Just go outside. Hey, going outside is dangerous. And that is not a thing we do as Americans anymore. Danger is a no-no. Got Speaking of pet peeve real quick, people always tell me to be careful when I'm like going somewhere doing something. I'm like, what do you think this is? We don't go to the mall carefully. Come on. But Like when wait, you're leaving it. and someone says drive careful. Oh, yeah. Is that what you and mean? That's more genuine. But I don't know. Just in general, when someone like cautions me to be careful, it's just we could be asking for better things of ourselves and just carefulness which it's a good thing but we won't go down that rabbit hole because I'll, I'll probably rant and again get burned at the stake so let's just skip that one too sounds good so what is it like hanging out with all these boys is it like growing up with your brother again or do you have a whole new perspective and you're able to influence them in a more positive way than like a brother sister relationship might have been there are some things that remind me of like my relationship with my brother but it's just different because these kids are from difficult backgrounds, most of them. A lot of our kids in our program don't have father figures in the home, and that's why we started, that's why we mentor. 
a lot of our kids are from impoverished backgrounds. A lot of them have been through just hard injustices, racism, and just have teachers who just think the worst of them. And so it's there's a lot of discouragement in our kids. One of the things that I get to do and my one of my favorite things in life to do is just help kids believe in themselves. And so a lot of my time is just spent speaking truth over kids and just inspiring them to overcome challenges. That's just something I'm really passionate about. I love the idea of people overcoming things they didn't think they could overcome. And so just getting a walk alongside them in that process is that's what I love doing. I dig it. That's really cool. So I've got one more question before I pass it on to Daniel and actually let him ask some questions. But okay. you got both of us started on the atomic habits thing, really like you told Daniel about it and then Daniel talked about it and then I got it. So that whole thing. Was there anything in atomic habits that really stood out to you? And on top of that, is there anything from that kind of mindset the book focuses on that you're able to use with these kids? Yeah, I actually, yeah, remind me if I don't answer one of those questions. Oh, I'll forget. Um, don't worry. Hopefully something good is said. I actually started that book because we as a staff at Foreigner read it. One of our core values is always be growing. And so as a part of our Monday staff meetings, we have an ABG assignment, always be growing. And so reading that book was one of our assignments. And um, we all had to come together and talk about our goals and our takeaways from it and how we can do our jobs better. And then I passed that book along to like six other people because I thought it was awesome. But one of the things that stood out to me the most about that book was he talks about deciding the person that you want to be. And I don't think a lot of people have had someone tell them, you can do that. You can consciously decide who you want to be. And like, have you taken the time to think about that? And so I like that. And then he also says, decide who you want to be and then prove it to yourself with small wins every day. And I just, I think there's a lot of integrity in that. And I'm really passionate about integrity. And I haven't thought of it in that way of proving to myself through my small choices every day that I'm serious about the person that I want to be. So that was one of my biggest takeaways. Very cool. I like it. I think that actually came up recently. I'm not sure if that was an episode or if we were just chatting, but we talked about that identity mindset where you actually get to choose the type of person you want to be and who you get to become. And it's really powerful. I know I like, I don't like, but I can totally eat onions now just because I told myself for months and months that I was like, you like onions. That's huge. I didn't know that. I did the same with needles, actually. You're eating needles? So I, they still make me uncomfortable and I still need that litany against fear to really get in the right mindset. But uh, I spent months because I knew I was getting a cavity filled. I'm pretty sure it was a cavity. Someone was going to poke me with a real needle, not, not a tattoo needle, which <laughs> I came to find out does not count in that mental aspect. So anyways, I knew it was coming and I had four to six months of prep time. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to tell myself that I'm not freaked out by needles and I'm totally cool with them. And so I did that. for. And when the appointment came, I was chill. Like deep down, I was still a little freaked out, but it's like water for me now. Like I used to be scared of really deep water. And it's the same thing. Like there's this part, it's almost like you locked it in a cell, like inside of you. And you can hear like yelling out for you to listen, but it's this muffled cry of fear instead of this actual level of fear that you receive. So yeah, yeah. it's like the anxiety in your body and adrenaline, like from excitement, it's telling your brain the same things. And so you can just tell yourself, I'm really excited right now to get this needle versus I'm so scared right now. That's what I do. <laughs> it was close enough to like, I was like, hey, this is good. I can handle this. I can go in. It was chill. 
I still wasn't, and I, I still have to have prep time. <laughs> like I can't just someone whips out a needle. I'm gonna be like, whoa, hey, we're about to fight. <laughs> but if I'm if I know it's coming and I have that moment to like collect myself and remind myself that I'm not scared of needles, then I become noticeably less scared of needles than I am if like someone just whips one out on me. I'd probably be scared of anything just suddenly coming at me. But yeah, definitely needles. Yeah. Anybody just wielding needles randomly out there, please stop doing that. You're a bad person. <laughs> no one appreciates that. You work in a mentor program. You're a director at a mentor program. And I would assume that mentoring is something that's important in your life, probably something that you came across before working at Forerunner. And so what has been the impact in your personal life on having mentors who has really filled that space for you? What what meaning has that brought to your life on a personal level? Yeah, I really didn't even, I don't think I knew the word mentoring until a few years ago. I was an intern at a place called the Wesley Foundation at Texas Tech. Shout out to Al Martin and Scott Latham over there and all the other people. But yeah, I was an intern there. And as a part of our internship program, we were required to meet with the mentoring director every week. And he basically mentored us on how to mentor others. And so a big part of my my time there was my schedule was just filled up with mentoring college students. And I didn't really know how to do that. And so I was learning on the spot, being mentored myself while doing this for other people. But through that time, I just became really passionate about mentoring because of the things I got to walk through with the girls I was mentoring. And I also just saw the impact of it in my life because I have great parents and they did an awesome job, hopefully, raising me. I guess that's up for debate. But you should let other people tell you that before you just say that. (laughs) I. I was trying to give them credit, but then I realized it came across as me being like, I'm awesome. They did so good. But like your parents, they are mentors to you, but there's just a different, there's a different impact when somebody else who isn't required to love you and care about you because they like gave birth to you and raised you. There's just a different impact whenever they take an interest in you and kind of, um, especially if they have an interest in the thing you're passionate about and just take you under their wing and they're guiding you through those next steps of, especially in adulthood, of developing, this is who I want to be. This is the career path I want to go down. And so that's what this person did for me. And he just helped me go through some of the hardest times of my life while I was being mentored by him. And throughout it all, I would say that his mentorship helped me become proud of who I am today. And I was proud of the choices I made going through the hardest times of my life. And I just don't know if I would have been able to say that if there wasn't someone just really looking out for me and challenging me and reminding me like, hey, you said this is who you want to be. Let's rise up and do it. Having somebody affirm those identities is really important. Having somebody that especially has walked some of those paths before and can help to guide you and help you know what is okay and what is expected and you know what is not okay. And some of those types of things can be really valuable. So for you, it sounds like that was, I won't say forced upon you, but highly encouraged through yeah. the Wesley. It 
it wasn't necessarily this like organic process where all of a sudden you woke up and you were like, I have a mentor. It was, yeah. there was purposeful action that went into it. And so is that something where do you still have a person that you consider a mentor? And, you know, if you don't, are you working towards that? And just thinking of others, how can somebody work towards finding a mentor yeah. if they're not in a program where it's, okay, this is something we do? Yeah. Since I just moved to Dallas in the last year, I need to find a mentor here in Dallas. And that's on like my goals for this year. And so I think you can have long distance mentors, but I do think that there is a benefit of having somebody actually like who's living life with you and you can meet face to face. And so I do think sometimes mentors are there for a season, um, like this mentor in Lubbock was for me. But as far as finding a mentor, I think with any relationships, there's just a lot of courage in pursuing something that you want. If you want a mentor, you're going to have to ask someone to mentor you. If you want to be a mentor, you may have to ask someone to be your mentee. Because I don't know that everybody is necessarily looking around and thinking, oh my gosh, I want to learn from you. Would you spend time with me? I think most people's default is, oh, I would love to learn from that person, but they probably don't have time for me. They don't want to carve out their busy schedule with me. But I think you'd be surprised to see, it's like a really honoring thing to be asked to be a mentor. And then it's just um, a really encouraging thing to be asked to be a mentee because there's just something really special about somebody saying, you're so important to me. I am going to make time for you every single week or a few times a month. I'm going to put you on my schedule and just hear about you and care about you. But it definitely takes courage. You have to ask. You have to seek it out. Yeah. And I think for me, a natural place where those mentor relationships and interactions can happen is the job. Depending on the job you do, obviously, if you're a sole proprietor or something like that, you're probably not going to have a mentor in your job. You're going to probably have to seek it out a little bit more. But that's something where I, I feel like within my company, there have always been people, whether it was my direct supervisor or just somebody that I, I interacted with that I felt like I could really look up to and I saw the way that they held themselves, the way that they interacted with others. I also heard the way that my peers talked about them and had this feeling of, okay, I would like to embody some of those characteristics. I would like to you know, have people that are reporting to me say the sort of things about me that I'm hearing said about this person. And I, I won't say that I've necessarily gone to anybody and said, hey, will you be my mentor? But I have definitely whether it was my boss and just really being open about things that I want to achieve or things that I admire about them. Or I remember that there was a, a guy in our office, his name was Clint. And I just always felt like Clint was one of the most genuine, hardworking people that I have ever met. He was very high up within our organization, but he was willing to do whatever was asked of him. He legitimately was one of these people that he would never ask something of somebody that he wouldn't be willing to do himself. I remember one time we needed to get some really menial data entry sort of stuff in, but it's the kind of thing you hire an intern, intern for. And so we were trying to find uh, just some people to get it done. And he was like, hey, if all else fails, I'll just bring my laptop home and, and plug away at these numbers while I'm watching football this weekend. And that was just his mindset was he was somebody that was going to get it done. And he literally lived out the idea of leaders eat last. So anytime we had breakfast or those types of things, he always made sure that he was serving everybody. He was the last person to get his plate. And I remember when he left, 
he brought the leadership team together and it, it was a little bit sudden his departure. And I know I was kind of shaken up by it. And he talked to us about how sometimes as a leader, your role is to really to make these changes, to, to take action, to set things up and to really be example for the team. And then also sometimes your role as a leader is to recognize that it's time to step aside and let somebody else grow up into that position that you've hopefully prepared them for and to be willing to sacrifice that for yourself and say, okay, I'm at this point, I'm actually the thing that is hindering the growth of the team and others are going to be able to spread their wings more if I step aside. And he said, it's time for me to do that. And he named the people that would be able to step up into those positions and be able to grow. And he was 100% right. Like it hurt at the time, but just seeing the growth that happened from it was so true. And so he was one that I called out the things that I admired in him Mm -hmm. and just told him, you know, Hey, I really respect this about you. And so he took the time to just tell me his approach to that and his mindset on that and, and how he was able to sort of do those things. I definitely think that some mentor relationships are like an official thing, but then I think more often it's like that where you just see somebody who does something or has a characteristic that you're like, I want to be like that. And you learn from them and they may never even know the impact that they had on you. They may never know that you are watching them and trying to model yourself after them. Since y'all are both having experienced this kind of thing, I've got a question for you guys that I might be leading the witness on, but is there a difference you guys see in people who are successfully mentored or have a successful mentor mentoree relationship versus those who aren't, you know, either in the forerunner program or at a light from the mentor perspective, successful or as a mentee being successful, either one, what would make a, what makes a relationship successful for either person? I would say some of the things that I've seen either way that makes it successful is just first consistency, just showing up and continuing to show up even when you don't feel like it's worth your time or that anything is actually being productive or fruitful. For our kids, Forerunner, kids are not going to tell you, oh my gosh, I am learning so much from you. This is changing my life. I'm so glad that you made time for me. You're not going to hear those things. And for mentoring kids, like you may not see any of the fruit of your labor until they're like in their 20s. And so it can be a long con for that. But I would say just showing up, you have no idea the impact um, that it makes of just being a consistent presence and being a consistent voice when you do show up, um, saying the same things, following through on things, being like a man or woman of your word. Do you ever have problems with these kids? Because I'm not going to say they're forced into this, but are they (laughs) ever uh, maybe a little unwilling? I I am sure in the history that there's definitely been kids who are who are like I don't need you. But for the most part, this is actually something kids who haven't been paired with a mentor yet are begging us, when can you bring me a mentor? They'll just go up to any adult who walks in the building and say, "Are you my mentor? Can you be my mentor?" <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> it's a little sad, it's a little sweet. But yeah, for the most part, who doesn't want special attention? Who doesn't want somebody who's going to say you're going to be the one that I give my time to. And you're worthy of that. You're valuable of that. Like, I think even as adults, we crave that. We want somebody to think we're special and give us, I don't know, one-on-one attention sometimes. And 
think the world of us. Everybody wants uh, Gandalf and Dumbledore to pay attention to. Right? So what about you, Daniel? Is there anything you notice in your environment that makes successful mentees or mentors? For sure. I'd, I'd say humility is probably the biggest thing. Somebody on both sides being really humble, it, it can cover a, a multitude of sins, so to speak. As a, a mentor, that can be humble and in, in recognizing that you may give some advice to someone that doesn't work, or you may just respond in such a way that isn't necessarily loving or beneficial and just being willing to, even though you're the person that's supposed to be the senior leader or whatever it is, just being willing to apologize and say, hey, you know what, that was my bad. That is huge. And I think that just will garner so much more respect than somebody who is just super cocky or arrogant or bullheaded. Then on the side of the mentee, once again, being very humble and recognizing I don't have all the answers. Maybe I should be willing to try this way that I don't think it's going to work, but this person that has more experience than me or has a different perspective than me is sharing this and just not being defensive. I think as a, a mentee, being defensive is one of the quickest ways to really just shut down advice and shut down opportunities for growth. And at the root of defensiveness, I really believe it's pride. It's feeling like I need to make this person understand why what I did was valuable or why I'm valuable or why my way is right. And, you know, why this mistake or whatever it is, wasn't my fault. I think pride is one of the quickest ways to really just completely hamstring uh, a mentor-mentee relationship. Yeah, that's when y'all were both talking about, that's what I was thinking about was how ego could so easily get in the way of even starting that relationship and how I've run into that problem myself where I just, my ego gets in the way of me taking advantage of really good opportunities because you get caught in that moment where you're like, oh, I know what I'm doing or I, I know how to do this or I am smart enough. I can figure this out on my own and that kind of stuff. And you shut down someone looking to help you and maybe you get that one in a hundred chance where someone's like, hey, let me show you what I do and how I do it and let me help you grow. And you're like, no, I don't need no help. And I'm quoting me directly there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think going back to what we talked about with Atomic Habits and your mindset on needles and just being able to hijack that physiological fear response. I think you can do some of that same thing with ego. And that's, I am not a particularly humble person as a whole. I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as a humble person. I think I'm too competitive and obsessed with achievement and winning to necessarily describe myself as that. But there are probably people that may be surprised to hear that. And I think it comes down to again, just hijacking my ego and, and my desire to be the best and be seen as the best. And so if somebody gives me feedback and I'm like, what the heck? Like, I'm so much better at this than you are, whatever it is. Instead, just taking the mindset of, okay, well, you know, obviously I'm not perfect. And so whatever there is in that feedback, maybe 99% of what you said, I just can't do anything with. But if I can do something with the 1%, I can get 1% better. I can improve by 1%. I'll choose to focus on that aspect of the feedback, or even if 100% of it was bogus and, and I, I don't agree with it, I can still step back and say, 
obviously that person felt the need to give me that feedback for some reason. There's something off with that perception. I still have room to grow, at least in the eyes of this person. Let me try to figure out why that is and, and what's happening there. So it doesn't matter like what it is. It doesn't matter how much I agree or disagree with that feedback. Just by hijacking my sense of ego, I typically can come away with something. Even if it, you can fake humble and as long as you're, you're willing to give it a shot, even if you don't agree with it, you might get somewhere. And, you know, you fake it until you make it, right? And a lot of times, <laughs> the, the things that you fake, you really become more of that way. So mm-hmm. high school Daniel is legitimately less humble than Daniel now. Maybe not as much as it might appear on the surface, but there is some realness to it. And there's many quotes on it, but something along the lines of the, I think it was Rothfuss that sticks in my head. Uh, shout out to Name of the Wind. But the mask you wear is what you become or something like that. No, I think I think that's Jim Carrey, the mask. <laughs> There's that one, too. It's a well-worn trope, but it's very true. So are there any skills or habits or anything you've developed, Beth, that you're like, this is what's really cool that I get to mentor kids on or it has nothing to do with mentorship? Is there anything that you've picked up that you think was really worthwhile after college? Something I picked up in mentoring, one of the things that my mentor specifically like taught me, actually, I looked through a letter he, he had sent me a while back and thought of this, he taught me how to ask questions. And so once a week for a semester, so maybe eight weeks, nine weeks, I would go to his office with a couple other people and he would mentor us on how to ask better questions. And he'd always say, people don't really need better answers. They need someone ask them a better question. So that's definitely something that I'm interested in. And I think it's really powerful to ask good questions. How did he teach you guys that? (laughs) He has a whole process. Like he would have us write the first question that would come to our mind of something. And then he would have us rewrite it, rework it five different times. And he would say, before you ask someone a question to get to the best version of it, you have to rework it at least five times. Interesting. And you know, that sounds tedious, I'm sure to anybody listening, but I bet, and and this is a guess because it's the first I've heard you talk about this, but the first month or two you were doing this, I'm sure that was, it slowed your conversations if you were being conscientious about it. Oh yeah. I bet down the road, it became something that you would think of a question and almost immediately you probably were coming up with a better question for it and it became more natural, right? Oh yeah. And like eventually you're kind of asking, you develop questions that are characteristic of you. And so maybe in different relationships, you have your core questions that you love to ask people. So I think over time you just become, it's like working a muscle. Yeah. You grease that groove and it becomes like a thing for you. How long did it take? You are like guessing at like, when did you start becoming more comfortable with this? Especially being a private person, I bet it's hard to ask questions in general for you. Asking questions takes the focus off of me. So I actually (laughs) would prefer to be the one asking questions. That's something he's really gifted at. And so I'd say the whole time that I was being mentored by him, even before it was official, that is something I was learning from him. And I wouldn't say I'm a pro at asking questions, but it is something I love to do now. So I'm just a lot more conscientious of when I do ask a question, I'm going to make it matter. And then just also when I'm talking to people, I want to ask more questions than I tell them things. I want to hear more from them than from me. 
Dang, that was a way better answer than I was anticipating. Like, I, I wasn't <laughs> anticipating really one way or another, but like, you, you want to do a podcast? I, I hear they're easy to start. We can ditch Daniel. <laughs> so, so going back over to the, the questions thing, though, that sparked a question for me. So how much have you looked into? And I know you studied psychology mm-hmm. in college. How much have you looked into just the power of curiosity? I am inspired by wonder and curiosity. Like one of the, actually going back to Atomic Habits, one of the things I wrote as a goal for myself is that I want to always be a learner. I just always want to be interested in something that other people can teach me. And so whenever I meet anyone, whether it's the kids at my program or people at work or just run into someone at the grocery store, I always want to think this person can teach me something. What can I learn from this person? And then just being like curious about the world. That is something I want to grow even more in. I think I'm curious enough to read books, but actually getting outside and exploring in real life is something that I want to grow in more. Maybe that's the introvert problem in me. Um, But yeah, I think curiosity is something that is it just fuels like a love for life, like a zeal for life. I think it's very healing for people to get out of their own head, out of their own perspective, out of their literal own house and be more interested in what they can learn than what they already know. How do you feel about the relationship between curiosity and fear? I think that a lot of fear is just more about being afraid of what could happen. And so once you actually go through something, you've seen the other side of it. And so I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but I think the the curiosity, the unknown fuels fear. So I'm just kind of thinking about a couple different things that came up in my life recently with curiosity. So mm-hmm. I was curious what you, your thoughts were on it, but... Um, we love that word. So <laughs> derail there. But before all the COVID thing, I was supposed to be a part of this study that UT Dallas does where they like do MRIs and they do different training modules and things like that. And they do MRIs after the fact and just try to see how your brain changes. Super excited about it. I'm still on their list and hopefully we'll get to, to do it. But in the meantime, they would send out different just articles and things like that about brain studies. And so one of their themes that they talked about is just how curiosity trumps fear and Mm. curiosity is a good way to actually deal with anxiety. Because if you are curious about a dark, scary cave, then you probably aren't afraid of it because you're wondering what's in there and you have an interest in it. You want to know about it. And it's a totally different response than, oh my gosh, what's in there? Is it going to kill me? It's at that point, you don't want to know what's in there. So it's a different response. It's a different side of the same coin. And there are actually some good exercises you can use if you have anxiety and you're having a physical response. Like if your side is hurting intense and you're anxious, as opposed to focusing on, oh my gosh, like my side is hurting and this is really bad. Thinking about, oh, why does this side hurt? But my other side doesn't (laughs) hurt. Huh? Oh, it only impacts me whenever this particular thing happens. What happens if I push compressor here? And so just thinking I'm going to explore this pain that I'm feeling, Mm. that can shift that feeling of anxiety. Curiosity is an important thing to 
diffuse fear, it's also a really important thing to diffuse interpersonal conflicts and and some some issues where you may not be believing the best in somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's something that we kind of worked through in the office, these corrosive interpersonal dynamics and gossip and all this sort of stuff is if you are curious about, I wonder why that person said that thing, or I wonder why they responded in that way, instead of assuming, oh, they said that because they hate me and they want me to fail. It's choosing to be curious about it. And that forces you to give more benefit of the doubt and seek out understanding as opposed to assuming you already know what the answer is. That's super cool because like you're essentially taking the labeling function of anything, a fear of a dark cave or somebody's intentions. And instead of labeling it as, oh, this is bad, you're just saying, hey, I'm going to I'm going to let whatever happens. I'm going to explore and adventure through this topic or this conversation and you're not jumping to conclusions. That's really cool. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, I definitely relate to both of those things. There has been many a time when something has been wrong with my body and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the end. But (laughs) over time, I've learned to slow down my thinking and literally walk through that. But I didn't really realize that was what I was doing until you just explained that. And when I hear things like that, sometimes I'm like, humans, we're so smart, but we're also so dumb because we (laughs) can trick ourselves so easily by doing things like that, just by like rewording our own questions to ourselves. And so it's funny. Yeah. You can consciously, knowing you're tricking yourself, trick yourself. It's the needle thing. It's just like, nah, bro, you got this. And you're like, yes, I got it. I told myself that this isn't a problem anymore. Now it's not a problem. You're like, what? That shouldn't work. Self-talk is so important. Power poses. Power poses. <laughs> yeah, if you do a, what was that in? I think I read in the psychology book where they're like, yeah, people who like go flex in a mirror before an interview get better jobs and they do better in front of other people. It's real. You, you put your <laughs> fists on your hips yep. like you're Superman and smile at yourself and everything's better. My next mentoring trick, I'll try that with the kids. <laughs> Teach them the Dragon Ball Z thing where they yell a lot. Oh, they already got that one down. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Just making sure that their childhood is mirroring my own. Yeah. This is why I couldn't mentor children. There'd be, it'd go poorly for everybody. Just chaos. <laughs> and I would love it. So do you think you're uh, dying often? Is that a thing that you do? (laughs) I've never had that moment myself. Like there's been a few times hanging with Daniel and we've been doing things. I'm like, there's a good chance I'm going to die. But there was no curiosity there. It was just like, all right, cool. We got ourselves into this. We now have to survive because that's it's that or die. That was just a really funny question to me. Do you think you're dying often? I mean, not anymore, but I have had a mystery illness for the last five years. Just popped up out of nowhere. I started having a lot of chest pain. And so the first time that I ever saw a doctor for this, we thought I was having a heart attack and I was 22. And so that was intense and scary. And it just kept going on and I had more and more symptoms. And by this point, I've had like over probably over 70 different symptoms and have seen over like 13 different doctors. And Wait, like 70 symptoms or like 70 chest pains? 70 symptoms, different symptoms. Like that's confusing, crazy, unrelated, like every symptom in the book kind of things went through some cancer scares with it and um, like thought I had MS for a while, thought I had Lyme disease, um, just kind of like all of it. But yeah, so they still to this day don't really know what exactly is wrong with me. I've been told I'm a 
candidate for a couple different things, but that's just been something I've been learning how to manage over the last few years is how to live in pain and constantly be aware that we are not immortal. Um, yeah, that's a really hard thing whenever you're in your like young 20-year-old age group to have to start wrestling with. Is there like a pattern? I have so many questions that probably would go too far, but is there like a pattern to it or any like a specific one? You're like, oh, this is what happens the most or the worst. Most like most often now it's just pain, pain and like fatigue. Every now and then I get what's what I they call a flare up. And so a whole rush of different symptoms will start up again. But I've been really lucky actually to have been able to manage most of my pain and symptoms with just lifestyle. So I haven't had to be on medicine for the last three years. And so I just am super proactive about managing stress and staying physically active is important to me and eating the right things, which I did just have canes for dinner. So I know it doesn't really seem like it, the but I do bird. care about it. The naked bird. It's a little better. They have naked birds at canes now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Naked I don't bird? think mine has that. Oh, it does. You just have to request it. It's not on the menu. <laughs> mine doesn't have that. I'm pretty sure. No, shut up. <laughs> I'm not just saying this because I'm gluten-free, but I really do think naked bird is better than the breaded chicken at Kings. Have the breaded chicken? Yeah. In five years? Well, I haven't had it probably in five years. I can just like look at it and I just know mine is better. <laughs> To the future sponsorship of Canes that is going to be coming to this podcast one of these days. We do not endorse what she is saying. Forgive us. Don't let this hurt our chances. <laughs> Y'all got to try it. I'll give it a shot if I go to Canes and remember to order it, not just get excited about the carb load I'm about to have. So, how long did it take you to figure out how to like mentally prepare for this? What do you call it? Do you have like a name for your thing? that you use like name my illness i have not named it that maybe i should do that because i think that could be a easier thing to explain to people maybe yeah you got to personify it you should name it write a wikipedia page for it and just tell people <laughs> to google it so you don't have to explain it <laughs> yeah that would actually make my life a lot easier i could link it to all my doctors like don't worry this is totally professional. I have all the research right here. Also, talk about, no offense to any doctors, but like, they're not just seeing you generally when you're talking to them. They make mistakes and sometimes they don't pay attention to what you're saying or sometimes they do their oh, thing. Yeah. And that'd be really handy, I bet, if you like had a nice, long, easily readable, like, here's all the things and you don't even have to ask me questions. You can read it at your leisure. And then there's none of the weird social interactions where like you're embarrassed that your doctor's good looking or I don't know, or really <laughs> ugly. What is happening when you go to the doctor? I don't know. I only see. A, I try and only see attractive doctors to, you know, up my um, social awareness. So I'm not afraid of good looking people. It's totally a thing that I, I didn't just make up me on the spot. One, <laughs> no, I don't know. There's that's not something I've actually for anybody that's confused, that's not a thing. But I do know some people get nervous around doctors and oh, part yeah, of it's the social, yeah. they're socially awkward in general and they double down whenever there's a doctor or heck, you could have an attractive doctor and just be like, you know what? I don't want to talk about this illness that's really gross because you're good looking and <laughs> let's talk about my cold and you just move on. And I don't know. I'm sure that happens. I assumed it was more a fear of hearing bad news. Mm. Oh, there is that too being in a place where people die and things like that. Yeah. And something I have learned with chronic illness is like doctors don't always make time for you. They are busy. And so sometimes you literally, like I have had to fight 
to keep a doctor in the room and say, no, I need you to listen to me. Something's going on. And this isn't just a cold or something, because um, especially whenever you're young and dealing with something crazy, I've experienced a lot of doctors who just think, oh, you're just stressed or it's just a flu, it'll pass or something. And so having to advocate for yourself against a doctor who clearly should know what they're doing is pretty intimidating. Oh, yeah. No one wants to do that. No. Unless they have needles, which I'll argue with them all day long. So the the chronic illness, what have been some of the ways that your life has changed and what have been some of the things that you've you know, learned about yourself or ways that you've you know, been able to grow from just having to handle something like that? Yeah, it's gotten a lot better. I can say that at the beginning, there was like one summer when I don't think I really left my bed for like three months because I was in so much pain and it was really hard for me to think about the things that I wasn't able to go do, the hobbies I had to give up, dreams for my life that didn't seem realistic anymore. And so grieving was a big part of the beginning of that process. But I think now I'm like, I'm not better, but I'm in a better place myself. And I don't think I would change anything that I've gone through because it's forced me to really quickly decide who I want to be and what I actually think is important in life. I think a lot of people my age, maybe are their focus is still definitely like the typical life track things. And that's great for me. Every moment of my day, I'm thinking I want to end this day proud of what I did today, because I think that life is unexpected and I don't know how much time there is left. And so I try and think of at least one thing I've done each day that I can think, okay, like that is who I want to be. If this is my last day today, I'm proud of who I was today. Heck yeah, get that dead by tomorrow mentality. <laughs> Am I on the right podcast or what? I don't think that came from the chronic illness. <laughs> I, I think that probably started after you watched About Time, right? Oh, I totally have based a lot of my life off that movie. Andrew, have you watched it yet? No, uh, I haven't watched it, it yet. I'm sorry. It is my favorite movie. It's so good. So I was going to watch it and then Shalomi's like, I've seen that. And I was like, well, I want to watch it. She's already seen it. And I was like, I only watch TV with you. <laughs> I can respect that as somebody who frequently does the same thing to Hillary. But there are some movies like Lord of the Rings where no matter how many times you've seen it, if your friend is like, oh, I haven't seen that yet and they want to watch it, then you watch it. And About Time is one of those movies. Dude, I watched uh, Fellowship and Two Towers uh, last month and it just, it just pumped me up. I felt so good for like weeks. <laughs> yeah, I need to watch I need Return to watch of the King. The, but yeah, I will watch the movie. I will make that happen this weekend. Good. Go. It's one of those movies that you know that I don't cry. I, I can count mm-hmm. on my hands the amount of times that I've cried. And it, and it's not like a macho thing. It just... Yeah, it, it's trauma from being macho things in childhood. <laughs> it's deep, repressed feelings. <laughs> I guess. But that's one of those movies that it almost made me cry. And so I know, like, normal people, I'm sure, just, like, ball their eyes normal out. <laughs> no, I'm with him on this. I've tried to explain that to multiple people where I'm like, look, I teared up. If if it brought me to that emotional point, that's as good as me crying. This is as good as it gets. It is my body just doesn't allow me to cry anymore because I spent too many years <laughs> with repressed emotion. It, just does, it doesn't happen. So this is a little hackneyed as a podcaster, at least a podcast I listen to. But have you checked out Wim Hof, The Iceman? on your chronic illness phone? No, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even going to try and explain because I am not of that caliber of a life hacker. 
but he has a really good book and it's pretty short. It's called The Iceman. I keep adding an E in there. It's called The Iceman. Uh, his name's Wim Hof. There's also Gwyneth Paltrow, who I'm also probably butchering a name there. She has a special on Netflix now. Is it Goop? Uh, yeah, Goop. I haven't watched any of the other episodes because none of the other episodes really seemed up my alley. But there is the second episode, I think, is the Wim Hof episode. And it was really good. So that'll be like a good little introduction to it. But cool. check him out and look at his website or read the book or something. And I don't know. It might help. I'm not a doctor. I'm not even close. <laughs> I'm over here falling apart with like my wrist barely working and my other leg not really working. So like I'm probably not the best person on advice here, but. But glad you started a podcast to yeah, do just that so I can exact air thing. my grievances on bodily pain. All right, Beth. So you said that you worked for a college ministry called the Wesley. I happen to you know have insider information and know that your entire college experience was a little bit different than your typical graduate high school, go off to school four years, start working, all that sort of stuff that certainly not everybody goes through that, but I would say a lot of the people, at least in our lives do. So could you just talk us through like what your college experience was like and maybe some advice that you would give to somebody starting out going to school? Yeah. So my first year of college, I started out being kind of disappointed because I stayed in Amarillo and I went to Amarillo College. I see. Um, I'm now really glad I did that because during that year, me and my sister, I think became super close because I would pick her up from school. I would take her to school. I did all the grocery shopping for my family. So I just, during that time, was just helping my parents a lot and it was fun. But yeah, so then I tried to become an Aggie. And that just did not go well. I tried to follow Daniel and live that life. And I mean... Both you and Christy did it. And I just couldn't be more disciplined. <laughs> I could only stay there for a semester. And I was just like, get me out of here. I can't I'm do so it. proud of you both. <laughs> you and Christy. Christy's my youngest sister for yeah. those that don't know. Um, and then, so I couldn't do that. I went back to Amarillo. I'm trying to go to college. Ended up at WT and Canyon was studying psychology. And I don't know why, but I just never in my life have really had a specific career in mind that I was like, oh, that is what I want to do with my life. And even after a couple years of going to college, I still felt really aimless. And so I just felt like this is a waste of time because I don't know where I'm going. I'm spending all this money and I still don't know what I'm doing. And so I took some time off of college. I just worked and I actually started working at the Wesley helping college kids before I had even finished college. And it was during that time that helping other people figure out what they were passionate about and make career choices is how I figured out what I was passionate about. And it made me want to go back to school and finish my degree. And so I did and ended up in mentoring and coaching and helping people make choices that lead them down the path that they want to be on. And so my experience with college is obviously not typical. I was all over the place. I didn't have a specific direction. But the thing that I could say advice for anybody who's feeling that is for me, I think it was just more important and I think I still to this day think it's more important to decide who you want to be versus what you want to do, because what you want to do is going to change a thousand times. And there's going to be obstacles where maybe you get your dream job and then something pops up and you don't get to do that anymore. If you were just set on that one thing, 
you're going to be aimless whenever it's taken away. But if you are more focused on this is who I want to be, no matter what I'm doing, that is a constant. Mm -hmm. You get to decide that and nothing can take that away. Careers change, but like your character shouldn't, you get to decide that. So do you have in a sentence form, you know, that nailed down of who you want to be? I don't know if I have it in one sentence, but the only thing that has been consistent. Two words. Two words. <laughs> you only get two words <laughs> oh, to describe gosh. your being. Who I want to be? Two words? Yep. Okay. Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, I would say, oh, gosh, this is so hard. I would maybe just say like life changer. That's really what I'm passionate about is I want to spend my whole life making other people's lives better. Cool. Andrew, add one word to ruin that. No, I can't do that to your sister. No, <laughs> maybe okay. if it was Christy. I'm not afraid of conflict. Oh, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really good what you're saying, because that ability to say instead of I am this career as an identity. We talked a little bit about this on different stuff, and some things just require you to identify that way. But if you can generally say, I want to be a hard worker, and I want to be honest, and I want to, whatever your principles are, you make a, a Ten Commandment list for yourself. Yeah. And one of those commandments could also cheat and be like, hey, I'm going to follow the other Ten Commandments, and then I get the nine to myself. So whatever it is, but if you have those kind of <laughs> things that you say, this is these are the lines I won't cross, and these are the things I'll say yes to, and who I want to be as a person, like in terms of traits and abilities and whatnot, that gives you a lot better framework to work on when new things come up. If a new problem arises or something that isn't specific to what you planned for, it gives you that flexibility to have a playbook to react with instead of just being like, I wanted to be an engineer or I wanted to be a doctor and now I'm not. And whatever. And that goes back to your college thing. If you yeah. had this plan, like, hey, I, I want to go and get a four-year degree. And then you drop out a semester and because you're like, this isn't working for me. I need some time off because I don't know what I'm doing. If all that you had in your mind was, I'm getting a degree in four years and I'm going to go get a job, you can't do anything with the change of pace without changing your mentality. But if you instead have that learner mentality or a perseverance mentality or something like that, you're able to say, all right, cool, that didn't work out. I'm going to sit back, check myself, and see where it's going. And you're able to reset and try again instead of just being like, well, I failed it four years straight, so I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, you get to decide the characteristics no matter what you're doing. I'm going to at least be these things no matter where I'm at. And it's great because also sometimes people shouldn't be going to college. That's not necessarily a, a path that everyone should take. And a lot of people get stuck saying, I like doing these things over here, but because I expect myself to go get a degree... I'm going to go get a degree. And then it just, it screws them up. They they don't know how to recover from it because they don't know who they are as a person. They're reacting to what's expected of them. You're putting your whole worth and like resources and time and all that energy towards something that is fleeting. Maybe you're going to get that IT job you're hoping for, or maybe you're going to get that 4.0 and get into med school. And maybe you don't. And if that doesn't happen, who are you then? But if you have your identity tied in something that's constant, that you get to decide, like nothing's going to mess that up. Yeah. And Andrew is going back to Enneagram as a three. That's probably an important thing for us to to be mindful of because we definitely can get caught up in the things that we're achieving, the things that we're doing more so than who we are as individuals. Yeah. I had to work in Enneagram at least once. <laughs> hey, and I was right about the eight. Like I took it and it was like 80% 
Okay, maybe I don't know what the exact percentage is, but it was like three and eight. And I was like, oh, there was an eight in there. It was more three. And you're right. I definitely get hooked into a goal and I'm like, all right, I want to accomplish this thing and I'm going to get this thing done. And it helps sometimes, but also whenever it doesn't work out and it's not possible that it's going to work out, it's really hard to pump the brakes and be okay with it. Sorry for, for sure. anybody who I've forced to hang out with me. That's a very <laughs> small slice of the pie of that situation. Okay, wait. That's, so what is your... Because I know you introduced me to Enneagram. Yeah. So what is your number? What's your wing? Lay some Enneagram knowledge on us. I am an Enneagram 8 wing 9, which it took me a while to settle on that because I also, I still have a lot of feelings. And so I cry a lot and I thought, oh, I must be a 4. I am way too emotional. But you know, 8 wing 9, the protector, the I think that it's nicknamed the bear, technically. <laughs> I would not have guessed that. Huh. So Wait, what is this Andrew, wing thing? Yeah, Andrew, what is your wing? Did you figure it out yet? I, I couldn't figure out what this wing thing was. I didn't look that hard, if I'm being honest. I'll send but, you a link. We can post okay. it in the show notes. All the show notes are going to be the separate storyline of Andrew <laughs> figuring out what his Enneagram is. It's a long-standing quest. It's going to be disappointing for literally everyone involved. I'll look into it. I All I know was uh, three was at the very top, and then eight was my next biggest thing. But it sounds like a wing has to be adjacent. Yeah, your wing is basically like you'd be either a three wing two or a three wing four. And you can be balanced, but it's just which one you lean to. Wasn't the four the caring and like subservient? Not that's subservient, a two. But, okay, that's a two. Then it's definitely not the two. I'm a three wing two. <laughs> I would say you're a three wing four, Andrew. Yeah, I've, I've got too close to uh, sociopathic tendencies to be on that level. So that's why we work, Andrew, because yeah. I care about getting all the the people i don't know involved and feeling things and all that even though i can't feel myself apparently. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you're just as much <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll figure ourselves out one of these days that's the real goal really is getting we'll that locked down and becoming whole people So what about it, Beth? Do you have any funny stories that uh, Daniel and I are either too embarrassed to tell other people about or we have just forgotten about I... either of us or mainly Daniel? Andrew, you're in this too. You've known Beth as long as, about as long as you've known me, pretty much. I feel like I, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask. And I know I was there for a lot of things, but I also like the whole time I have like little sister syndrome whenever y'all be doing your thing, like system links in the living room or whatever. It was like, I want to come hang out, but I don't think Daniel wants me to come <laughs> hang out. And so it was just kind of like me always nervously coming in and seeing if I can <laughs> hang out and stay. <laughs> but Daniel, like if we talked about this earlier, his personality is like he wants everybody included in everything. And so Daniel was always really good at inviting me to things. And one memory I do have, is just, I think we were playing cops and robbers at 11 o'clock at night. All I remember is I was in the back of someone's van. And I think it was your cousin, Andrew, maybe? God, we played some massive games of cops and robbers. And Derek had a minivan. But okay. so did Graham. So it could have been either of them. Was it white well, or gray? I don't know. But it was some dude I didn't even know. And I was just in the back of this van. It was very late at night. And I was probably like 13 or 14. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, like... How did I end up here? Am I even supposed to be here? But I would yeah. guess it was Graham's, just for the record. As, as much as I love my cousin, I don't think he played many of those physical things we did with us. I, he was off I, playing yeah. music a lot. 
I don't remember Derek coming and hanging out with us too much at that yeah. time. He was pretty busy trying to get his music career going and <laughs> but Graham Graham didn't really interact as much with the like the social lines, but whenever that big stuff went down like cops and robbers at midnight, there were people that I didn't know that would be playing. <laughs> oh, you invited everyone you knew because the bigger the game, yeah. the better it was. Which, which is also I guess is how scary. I ended up there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I remember literally there was like groups of people like they would be running from me and I'm like, I'm chasing literal strangers. I hope they're playing. <laughs> I'm just some jerk that's chasing people because it's dark and late at night and I'm fast as heck and these guys are just running from me because I'm chasing them. They're probably telling the same story like to their friends right now and being like this one time I was just trying to walk my dog and this man just came chasing after me. Man, we were 16. And like <laughs> you, re- you remember Andrew and I at 16, nobody was mistaking us for men. That's fair. String being. Hey, whatever. I'm yeah, still the same height I was then. Yeah, the same height. Surely <laughs> you up a little bit. Okay, fine. So you got into uh, probably Graham's van. And yes. did, did he catch you? How did that work? Like, why are you even I, I don't even remember. It's all such a blur. But that is most of the memories I have of hanging out with any of you guys in high school. It's just like ending up in a situation where I'm like, what is going on right now? And how did I end up here? Because, like, I'm an introvert. I didn't plan this. I just tagged along with extroverts, and this is what ends up happening. No, that's pretty fair. A, a lot of the times I think about it, I still have trouble. Like, what were all the rules? That is a good question. I mean, someone always got hurt. Like, always. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so that and then, like, tennis, I think, are the two things that stand out to me. I think I was a freshman, maybe, when y'all were juniors or seniors on the tennis team but i know coach juniors. otto was still there and we also all played tennis at the amarillo tennis center with jan and dean i he still remember him doing sun salutations at tennis camp every morning I it was great about that God. <laughs> memories that could have been left buried sounds like we need to uh step up our experiences for you if you don't have anything too wild or embarrassing apart from dragged along extrovert trips sounds like we're gonna have to uh give your body new reasons to experience fear how do you feel about i don't know whitewater rafting without life jackets we'll do that next i haven't done that (laughs) you could swim i'd be down i think i can i think i can float at least I have drowned once in my life, but what? it was a long time. <laughs> That's true. It was actually the day I got baptized. I didn't know that. Yeah, Wait, I felt was like that maybe a that separate was a event? sign. Separate events. Yeah, it was oh, the okay, after cool. party. Yeah. So Wait. I didn't know if that was like a sign of like rejection or what was going on there, but I feel pretty confident that I'm okay now. It was a, uh, you, you didn't leave your old self fully mm-hmm. there whenever you're baptized. You're going to get um, pushed into a pool. And then have to be resuscitated. God was like, we got to redo it. We got to <laughs> make you, sure like, it legitimately, sticks this like, time. <laughs> got resuscitated? No, but I was like, I don't know, like five or six and got pushed into the deep end of the pool. I, was, I think I was actually trying to get Daniel's attention <laughs> and someone me in the pool. <laughs> and I just remember reaching my little hand up and I was like looking up at the sun. It was like a movie. <laughs> and then a hand reaches in and my dad had come and pulled me out of the water. He saw me from like across the yard. It was like a pretty big pool party, so I'm glad he was there because, you know, there was a quite a bit of flailing from the kids around me. I don't think they realized I was drowning. No, that's what's so scary about uh, pools with kids because that totally, that happened, not that exactly, but I remember this kid was like dunking me because he was mad at me in a pool sometime. I can't remember, <laughs> it was when I was still scared of water too. I could barely swim and uh, like straight up almost just drowned because this kid wouldn't let me up. 
And yeah. I think I ended up, we won't go into that. I I did something not nice to the kid and he ended up letting go and I was able to swim away and choked out some water. Gotta do what you gotta do. It was very scary. Yeah, I guess I'll share my uh, almost drowning story. That's <laughs> apparently what too. we're talking about now. <laughs> so for me, and, and I was scared of water for a while. And for the record, I'm not a great swimmer. I straight up sink. I know there are people that can float. I feel like most people can float and I try to do it. Can't do it. I sink <laughs> like a rock. But as a kid, one time we were out at the lake. It was like this guy's retreat thing where like fathers bring their sons. And so I was out there and I was just hanging out in this inner tube, wasn't really paying attention. And then all of a sudden I was like pretty close to the middle of the lake. And the inner tube also had a rope on it and the rope had gotten caught up in all the seaweed. And so no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't swim and pull the tube out of the seaweed. So I was just stuck in the middle of the lake, too far away for me to confidently feel like I could swim back to the shore without the inner tube. And so I'm out there just yelling and screaming as loud as I can, hoping that somebody will notice and come out there. But I was far enough that nobody really heard me for a long time. And I just chilled in the middle of this lake in this inner tube as it was getting dark. And then finally, I guess they realized, you know, that I wasn't there. My dad looked out and (laughs) saw me and swam out to get me, like pulled the tube out of the seaweed so that we could swim back. But yeah, that was my traumatic water experience dang kent two for O for saving kids <laughs> he get christy out of a water situation too we're gonna have to ask her i don't yeah, know did don't christy know. drown <laughs> we'll, we'll what is out. dead cannot die is that the right words <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh oh gosh the iron islands is that yeah the ironborn no that's not right but yeah game no, of what, thrones what is dead can never die yeah the sea people yeah didn't i use that as something I did. I can't remember what. <laughs> but yeah, well, one last story I'll tell and then we can wrap up because I think it does a good job of just really summarizing the dynamic that Beth oh, and I wow. had. Is this Gr- going to be about the... Oh, for sure. So <laughs> Beth and I are only two years apart in age. And so we've always been fairly close. We were in schools together. And like also a uh, fun fact, we were homeschooled up until I was in the fifth grade. And so explains a lot. Yeah. Not only were we homeschooled, but we lived out in this suburb of Amarillo called Bushland, which at that time we were the fifth house in the subdivision. So like 10 people. Yeah. And two of them were kids and they were weird. Wow. Throwing stones in that glass house. It's true. (laughs) So all of that to say, essentially Beth and I were best friends, maybe because we liked each other, but definitely because there were no other options. Mm. And so as kids, I always was like planning out adventures that we were doing. And like, it was always, we're going to go do this thing. We're going to go like fight this monster. And Beth was like, my sidekick was always there for anything that we were doing, except for one day, I was like trying to get Beth to, I don't know, sword fight with a broom or something like that. And she wasn't having it. And and that's something that is definitely a dynamic. For the most part, Beth and I get along pretty well. She's usually actually pretty up for doing things despite being an introvert. Like just in the story of Cops and Robbers, like she actually showed up and did it. <laughs> that's true most of the time. Sometimes though, Beth decides I'm not having it. I don't want to be involved in this thing. I don't want to go along with this game is. Doesn't matter how well you explain it. Doesn't matter how much you talk about the benefits and how great it'll be. Not having it and it's true the first time that happened (laughs) when we were kids 
but it was while we were trying to do this, I don't know, game involving a broom. And Beth got tired of me like trying to get her to play along with this game. And she hit me with the broom. <laughs> Good girl. And was like, no, I'm done. And so I was upset. And at that time, <laughs> I being a very you know, manly masculine child, I kept a diary. And I wrote in my diary, I would put like the date and the entry. And all I wrote was, Today, Beth lost her warrior spirit. <laughs> you were dramatic. So dramatic. But yeah, so that I really just feels feel like just sums up the dynamic that have had Beth and I have had for pretty much our entire lives. Yeah, I lost my warrior spirit a long time ago is what he's saying. It's been rough. That's what you could call the sickness, your warrior spirit. <laughs> it really confused people. <laughs> the Wikipedia entry would be baffling. <laughs> also, there's nothing wrong with journals, Daniel, or diaries. Like, that's a good habit to have. Maybe just don't call out your sister in it. No, I think journals are very important. We talked about reflection in our, our most recent episode about opportunities. I think journaling is a really good way to do that, to encourage that. And it can be just like anything else. It can be social if that's what you're into. That's how I originally asked Hillary out to be my girlfriend and also asked her to marry me. Both involved journals. Yeah, that's a good way to get around uh, that face of yours. <laughs> <laughs> that actually makes me feel better about you not ever crying because like journaling is like a lot of feelings. So at least you're not like a robot. Yeah, like, there, there are feelings there. We have feelings. We always have feelings, feelings just because they don't cry. Well, there are plenty of boys that cry. <laughs> I cry a lot. I just don't know why. Onward got me the other day. I guess it's been a couple months, but I had my boys watch that yesterday. All the Forerunner boys. That that's a good movie for them. That's a it's rough a great, movie for them. It's a great mentoring movie. Yeah, you made all your kids cry just like that. Just yeah, hey, kids today. You're gonna suffer. Get them crying, and then uh, that's when you come in with some life truth, and then the kid's life changes just like that. Break him off a piece of the truth. Truth. See, you could play the long game on them with it and do a Firefly. It. I got myself trying to get uh, Shalomi. We've been not Firefly community, and we hit the <laughs> two very total, different shows. Total pivot. Well, Mal was on the episode we watched yesterday. Whatever, don't judge me. I love them both. That's the thing. I had to open the love box in my heart, and I just picked out the wrong name. There's but, only uh, two in there. There's a few, but like I was only <laughs> trying to go for one. I accidentally grabbed the wrong one. <laughs> we were watching, and we hit where Troy leaves Abed and oh. it makes me tear up every time. And so I'm on the couch just watching it and she's like, are you crying? And I was like, no, this is as close as it gets though. And she didn't <laughs> make fun of me and it was messed up. And I just ended up getting myself essentially. On that note, thank you guys for coming by. Beth, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to talk to us about all of the things that we covered here. I know it was probably a little bit more than you were expecting but uh we appreciate you coming on and daniel thank you for letting us borrow your sister thank everyone for listening if you have any questions or comments feel free to send them over we are always happy to chat with anybody who has questions about what we've talked about or if we said something that was really dumb feel free to correct us on it so thank you and this was dead by tomorrow with daniel andrew and beth 